Hello and welcome each and every one of you to the very first episode of Wintonian Real, a film and TV and pop culture podcast dedicated to all things current and going on in our wonderful world. My name is Matanza Mafia Fedora, the real Wintonian. And here today I am joined by none other than my best mate and fellow film fanatic, Mr. Louis Windsor. Hi everyone, I'm Louie. I'm very happy to be here. For the first episode today, we are talking Indiana Jones, since the new film just came out. So we're going to give our thoughts, things we might have done differently, and then just chat about the franchise in general. Yeah, okay. So, I've got the topics here. Let's start off then with what we think about the film. I'll let you go first, because I know your opinion differs from mine. I just think it's the worst one. It doesn't have the same kind of wit and fun as the others, and I'm including Crystal Skull in that. It just feels like a very kind of paint-by-numbers, modern Hollywood action film. I think I found it a lot better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in terms of its consistency, but then again, it depends really what we're going to be consistent about, wouldn't you agree? Because you can get a good and consistent tone, but sometimes you'll find that there are some films that can start off really well and then suffer really badly, or they can be redeemed by the final act, can't they? Yes, that is very true. And truth be told, I've always said this, I think Crystal Skull is a good indie movie that just falls apart in the final act, for me personally. Yeah, and I'd be very much on the same line. Now... Some points then about Dial of Destiny. I think we should start off with what is it that we liked and what did we not like about it? And knowing that you'll probably have more to criticise about it than you will praise, I'll let you go first with the critique. Okay. Well, for me, my main problem with it was, um, well, one, the MacGuffin. Like, okay, so every Indiana Jones MacGuffin had, like, a catch to it. For example, like, the art kind of... You know, kind of like the art kind of killing anyone that looks inside it. The Holy Grail, like, disintegrating you if you drink from the wrong cup, that kind of thing. Now, my problem with the dial is it has two, like, loops. But the problem is two of it just kind of make it useless. Whereas if it had just stuck to, like, the idea of continental drift, then that would have been a fine way to kind of say that it works with a catch, you know, because it still would have had potential to be weaponized. You just have to kind of account for continental drift and that's it. Yeah. And is there any aspect of the film that you felt was in any shape or form worth bragging about? Like, is there anything even remotely redeeming about the film? The first 20, um, the prologue set in the Second World War. Like, honestly... <laughs> Yeah, like one of my things for it would have been like just having the whole film set in World War Two with them de-aging Harrison Ford throughout the whole film because like it's Disney like we know they would have the money to do that because they did it with Samuel Jackson and Captain Marvel so it can be done. Yeah and it's not like Pirates of the Caribbean didn't also look for a adventure in that franchise about the Fountain of Youth didn't they? Yeah, which we will come back to that later, the Fountain of Youth. Because basically, I actually found like the MacGuffin in the prologue a lot more fascinating than the dial itself. Yeah. You know, because like, because like, because like, I can actually see how why the Nazis would want the, um, well, okay, I can see why the Nazis would want the dial as well. But like, 
I can kind of see why the Nazis would go all out looking for the Spear of Destiny, as I call it. Yeah, and I think on this point about the MacGuffin, I'll say this much. With every Indiana Jones MacGuffin, if you look at it from a chronological point of view, I think that this one, you have to admit, seems very underwhelming and very random compared to literally the Holy Grail and everything that came before that, and even the Crystal Skull itself. But... I'm looking here at this Wikipedia article, and it says that the Antikythera mechanism, or Archimedes dial, is an ancient Greek hand-powered orrery described as the oldest example known of an analog computer used to predict astronomical positions and eclipses decades in advance. So how they felt the need to do time travel based on that I will admit, that is one thing about the film that I find very underwhelming. And I think even more underwhelming is, like, they it's like they never actually use, like, the time travel concept to, like, its potential. I mean, because, like, they could have gone all out and had almost, like, Indy going, like, using the dial to kind of go back through time to kind of see, like, his, his like, earlier adventures, you know? Like, you could have maybe gotten a real Back to the Future Part 2 style film where, like, it's old indie kind of looking over events from the other films, you know. I feel that could have been quite a fun, like, joyride to, like, the final act, you know. Yeah, bear in mind, though, that I have mentioned in the past that whilst it's a great film, potentially, in terms of its script, the problem with Back to the Future Part 2 is that it can get very heavy towards the end. In fact, the further you go, the heavier that roller coaster ride gets on you. But... Oh. Back- but back on indie, just for a second. Um, what I liked about this film was, again, I think the pacing of this, even if it wasn't necessarily up to the standard many people hold indie towards, it was at least more consistent and didn't fall apart the way Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did, which is where maybe I felt a little bit more like I was getting what I saw at the beginning than I did with Crystal Skull way back when I first saw that in 2010, I believe I saw it, even though it came out 2008, probably. And also, I know that you're not particularly fond of the character Helena Shaw. I didn't mind her, but I did feel like she could be a very big uh, B-word towards her godfather. And in all honesty, that's banter that I didn't associate with an Indiana Jones movie, because even with Marion, you have to admit... None of that ever got quite as disrespectful as what Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character had to deal with. And so it's a film where the consistency is probably the thing that made me forget a lot of the bad stuff that happened in it, because I went there and I just saw things consistently at the same pace. My biggest problem has always been, like, with Indiana Jones's MacGuffins, you need something that is not going to seem like it's been blown away by, in gig terms, what we call the support act. Because imagine if you go to see a band and the one that comes on as the support act is literally nothing like the one that came after that. Like the main event or the climax of the franchise in this context is just completely past its prime, stale and doesn't grip the audience like it should do. Well, I mean, that's the, f- I mean, there's definitely an argument for it being more consistent than Crystal Skull, but then again, but you could also say, like, you could also say that it's also less memorable than, than Crystal Skull at the same time, I think. 
Yeah. Like, 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 regardless of your opinion, Crystal Skull, like, you're going to remember that movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. On that point, um, there are some characterization aspects that I didn't expect. I mean, were you expecting to hear about them getting divorced in the film, Marion and Indy? And also, how much do you think that it's down to behind the scenes drama versus creative decisions that they actually had from the get go? Well, now, see, here's another one of my big problems, and it's kind of a trope with Disney, which is kind of getting really old with legacy characters, where they just kind of make them kind of broken old, you know, like broken old men or women, you know, just have, like, their original creation, be it, like, say, Ray or, like, Helena, you know, kind of, like, telling them, like, you're wrong and right, you know. It's getting old, I think, that trope. Well, I mean, the main one is Luke Skywalker, you know, Oh, yeah, that one is definitely a pain to have to imagine. And truth be told, like, okay, look, I can see why you might not want to bring Shia LaBeouf back as much, you know. I can kind of see that, but, like, like, not every character has to be written out because they died. The Creed films does a really good job with that by saying that Rocky's son is is just off elsewhere having his own family. You know, that's all they had to, you know, that is a good way to do it, you know. Yeah, exactly. And personally, I feel like with everyone dying, it just feels like, well, are you doing that just because of a cop-out? Or are you genuinely thinking that this would benefit Indy's character to have Mutt actually killed off? Because I can get what they were trying to do and why that obviously led to the breakdown of his relationship with Marion, but... Don't you think it's all kind of undercut by the end, how we got them together in the final scene of the movie? But ultimately, it didn't amount to any beautiful dialogue or idea of them actually being able to both acknowledge where they've messed up in the past. Instead, we just got them having a brief hey, 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 Mm -hmm. and then kiss and make up. Yeah. And and again, like I'm gonna save my full thoughts on the Mark Williams thing for when we get into like what we would change about Dial of Destiny, because I do have my things to say about. Because basically, a lot of it is going to involve like what I would change. Yeah, but for now, the main topic that we've got to discuss here is this one. Louis, tell me where exactly in order of ascension from worst to best will you rank all of the films in the indiana franchise and why okay well this is going to surprise no one but because i've already said it but dial of destiny is is my least favorite one you know because for all the reasons i listed you know like it doesn't have the same kind of magic and adventure that the other indie films has You know, like, it just kind of feels like, like I said, it just feels like a soulless modern Hollywood film. So that's the obvious one out of the way. Now, this is an interesting one, though, because for my next ranking, these two are kind of tied for me because they are both in it for very similar reasons. And that is Crystal Skull and Temple of Doom. Okay. Basically, like, I've, yeah. Simply put, like, like, neither of them I would call great. But here's the thing, though, with both those films. They have this. They do have kind of like the wit and magic of Indiana Jones. Like it has the same kind of. It has Spielberg's kind of like twinkle in it. Where it, and also like Temple of Doom in like his last half hour gets really fun. I'm not gonna lie. Cool. And then how would you rank the final two films then? Okay. Well, my okay. So and number two is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think that film is fantastic. You know. 
like I said, the only reason it's not number one is because of, well, the glaring story problem that everyone brings up, which I will have some comments on that when we get to it. But yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I just think is like an example of an almost perfect movie in terms of pacing, you know. Just a really funny, you know, it's funny, it's action-packed, and it's intriguing. Yeah, and obviously at number one, this means there's only one option left to go. Last Crusade. Yeah, and tell us now, why is it that Last Crusade, for you, and I'll get into my thoughts about it later, gets to the point on your list. Okay, well, there's a lot. Well, for one, it took Raiders of the Lost Ark, the formula of that, and perfected it, you know. And I think the MacGuffin is a really interesting one with the Holy Grail. And I just love the the kind of dynamic between Indy and Henry Jones Sr. You know, I just think that those two are a lot of fun together and they have great chemistry as father and son. (laughs) Yeah, plus, let's be real, two Hollywood legends like Sean Connery and Harrison Ford together in the same film was probably something that many people didn't actually imagine happening until it finally did happen. Because you got... Essentially, well, maybe the fans of the other franchises, though not Harrison himself, would say you got James Bond and Indiana Jones, two characters that one of them Spielberg actually did make a film of, and the other he actually wanted to make a film of, but never got the chance to. And this is where he substituted it. And also, I just love the twist that the lead female, the typical love interest, stabs Indiana in the back. I just think that's a great twist, you know. Oh, yeah, and let's be real. You know, as far as Nazis go, I think the character that Alison Doody played, she is actually one of those characters that you do almost get the impression, will she, won't she, will she, won't she, will she, won't she? Is she actually a Nazi because she believes in Mein Kampf, or is she a Nazi because she sees them as just an exploitable group of people that will get her what she wants? And, and that's also yeah, sorry, go on. I was just gonna say, and that is what keeps the whole film fresh, and it's what gets you invested in her character. Like yeah. aesthetically, you get the impression this is meant to be everything that Hitler wanted in a woman, but then we see her crying at a book burning ceremony that Hitler turned up at, and I mean legitimately shedding tears, like she's at a funeral. So and- how do you deal with that kind of complexity and not feel sympathy for her and also that's what i love about elsa though she is a great that's the thing one of the it's like she's not just like a two-dimensional nazi you know she's actually like a fully fleshed out character where like she doesn't where like while she is doing questionable things she doesn't believe in the swastika as she puts it you know yeah exactly and And also and also just and also just like the book burning scene in Berlin, like with Hitler unintentionally signing like the map to the Holy Grail is just really funny. Yeah, I mean, that always gets me because it's like he would not have done that if he only knew it. But it's like yeah. you can't help but imagine Hitler willfully giving away in a way that Hitler never would do something yeah. oh, so valuable. Yeah. Oh, and also one last little bit of trivia in that scene, um, the bloke who who plays um, the villain in Raiders, not Belloc, the, the Nazi. I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. I think Todd is his name, something like that. Mm-hmm. He actually appears in that scene as Heinrich Himmler. Well, I mean, there's a pretty obvious similarity between the two of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, so then what are your rankings of the indie films then? Let's hear yours and reasons why. Okay, well, for anyone who knows me, this won't be too much of a surprise. The one that I rank at the lowest for many reasons, particularly for its depiction of the Indian people, is Temple of Doom. Because for all the reasons that you've mentioned about it being, as you've said, a fun film towards the end and having a lot of really iconic moments, I think for me, this is Temple of Doom's really complicated legacy, which we may as well tap into along with this topic. But it's a film that has so many iconic tropes, or even just elements in it, which are a lasting impact on Hollywood. For instance, the minecart scene, you've got the fact that even if some people found him annoying, Short Round was actually a pretty well-respected character within Indy's franchise that has stuck out even after all these years. And then there's also the fact that, you know, Kali Ma, Hanam Shavai, you betrayed Shiva. These are all lines that every Indiana Jones fan knows instinctively. But the thing is, I am too much of a social justice warrior to ever want to see a film with such a blatant white savior complex as that with Indiana Jones, a white American of Welsh heritage going over to India, where we also see a British colonel who is in charge of, I believe, some Gurkha soldiers who are still ruling over India at the time, and at a time when India was really pushing for independence. This whole thing with the Thuggies was probably, without Spielberg intending it, one of the most disgusting depictions of colonialism versus Indian caricatures that I have ever seen in film. And it's impossible for me to watch that film and not feel guilty about the bits that are enjoyable, mixing with something so vulgar. As an anti-imperialist of Irish ancestry, this is the kind of thing which, no matter how well executed as a fun story, makes my blood boil. And I cannot change that view, no matter what. You know, and that is definitely, like, a lot of... Like, truth to that, to those statements, you know, like, it's not, you know, like, it does have a very bad depiction of Indians, you know. And it's also apparently been banned in India to this day, which does not surprise me. <laughs> and I did some research on the Thuggies because you mentioned that they were a legit cult. Turns out there was a bit of ambiguity as to what they were, because some people say that they were a legit cult. Others say they were just a group of people who disguised themselves as traveling merchants, but robbed people on the highways, which is where we get the term thug from. And therefore, you have to say that at best their portrayal is dubious, at worst it is disgusting. But moving on to where I would put Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny, I think they are neck and neck to a point where I would only just rank Dial of Destiny higher, but for consistency. I think that the problem is, when you're that young as I was in high school, which feels much longer ago than it probably was, because I'm only 28, I ended up having such a negative first introduction ever to Indiana Jones that I had to really work to get into the original trilogy. No joke. Like, I obviously knew about Indiana Jones long before that, but I never watched any of the films because... Sadly, well, I grew up in a time where 
it was pre-digital switchover and I didn't have Sky or Virgin or anything, access to any of those until I could go round to my grandparents' house. So yeah, my love of cinema, as some people will probably be able to relate to in my village, was something that I fostered from browsing the internet rather than actually having it all on display in my bookcase. And yeah, I'll say this much. That is a massive letdown for me, knowing that it was the film that nearly prevented me from watching Indiana Jones permanently. Dial of Destiny, however, we've had all the things that Louis has said. We've also had a couple of things that I brought up. At the very least, it didn't turn me away from the franchise to a point where I had to be wrestled into a chair to watch Raiders. And that is something that I hope no one ever has to deal with, because it's almost like, imagine your introduction to Godzilla being the Roland Emmerich 98 movie. <laughs> yeah. Like mine was. And mine was too. So, yeah, I needed you to introduce me to Godzilla properly, mate. And that is something which I hope you can understand precisely now what my main objection would be to ranking Crystal Skull any higher. I can see in hindsight, as you've said, that it's a better film than I remember it up until the end. However, it's still a film that definitely would have left a negative imprint on a first-timer. Oh, definitely. And unless we unless be real, the triple agent line is stupid. <laughs> you see, I hate that line so much. Yeah. No, indeed. I'm not a triple agent. I'm a double agent, but you were dumb enough to trust me twice is what you said one time. <laughs> it's pretty much what it is, though. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, honestly, yeah. I, wish, I wish that Ray Winston said that in the film. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, to mirror what you said then for top two and one, Raiders of the Lost Ark at number two, because for all the reasons that people do know, it is one of those films which, no matter how you try to defend it, you cannot try and go beyond the fact that there is literally nothing that Indiana Jones contributes to the story that the Nazis actually didn't know themselves. Marion would have probably still been tracked down without them knowing about him going to see her. And it was really just a race between two people over the exact same information or two different groups of people trying to get to the exact same thing. And oh my God, it's just like wait to destroy a film's legacy, Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Oh, and also there's an argument to be made that since the Nazis had already found like the Lost City, of Taris, basically, like they would have found the Ark eventually without the medallion. Like all they had to do was just keep digging. Yeah, I've never actually thought about that. But as you've said, Last Crusade to me is the best. But also, wouldn't you agree it has the best prologue? Because with Indiana oh, Jones, like in media res, you can tell that that was Spielberg putting a bit of emphasis of his own childhood in there. Because up until 2001, I believe, due to their anti-gay policies what we got was Spielberg bringing back some of his memories as being a boy scout and I don't remember where Spielberg himself was actually raised but you know you can see Indiana Jones's love for adventure being born in the back end of Utah in the desert and with only his father his stuffy 
medievalist father for company and seeing how it sort of taught him all about the ideas of seeking out adventure and the music is just great like that's the best song or specific instrumental within the entire indiana jones filmography in my eyes yeah and also the prologue has probably one of my favorite quotes in the whole franchise go on you lost today kid but that doesn't mean you have to like it <laughs> <laughs> it's true I mean, uh, and, go on and also and also don't get me wrong there's the fact you know the line of it belongs in a museum is iconic you know and i do love that as well <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Some lines are so mundane until they are said in a certain way. Like, let this be a message to all of you. Delivery is at times more important than the joke itself. Oh, it is. (laughs) Yeah. But also, anyway, to talk about the things that we've already mentioned, like Elsa's complexity keeps you interested in her and her development, because by the end of the film... I was actually hoping that her greed wouldn't overtake her before she fell down into the abyss trying to get the cup of Christ. The Holy Grail, however, though, is something which, once you understand exactly what kind of artifacts they could have had that are evidence for Jesus, you also see that stuff as being evidence against the Nazis, who, for those of you who do not actually understand... They were a legitimate anti-theist organisation which wanted to try and eradicate not just Judaism, but also religion as a general concept. They actually wanted fascist society to be state-sanctioned atheism. They were the atheist extremists that would have been kind of like the third wheel in the Crusades had it been about more than just Christians versus Muslims. And... It still intrigues us. I'm sorry we never got to see precisely what Elsa's motivation was in getting the Grail. I don't remember that being explained. But also, Alison Doody's performance is just brilliant in that role. She is an amazing and vastly underrated, in my opinion, Irish actress who deserves to have more credit than she's had. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's briefly ex- kind of explained at the very end by Henry Jones Sr. Just, Elsa never really believed in the Grail. She thought she found a prize. Ooh. Wow. That brings me back to perspective. But yeah. Also, yeah. let's take a little look then at the other elements of Last Crusade because it's just got all the right elements of a Indiana Jones movie. It really does. Yeah. So what exactly is it then that Dial of Destiny lacks, especially that Last Crusade possesses? Simply put, fun. That's what it's lacking for me. And what exactly is it then that you would change about it? Well, okay, so I'm not going to do a whole rewrite, you know, but I'm just going to say some changes I would make. For one thing... It wouldn't be about the Dial of Destiny. It would be about the Fountain of Youth. And and yeah, that would be my first major change. And to and incorporating Sala, I would actually have him be the one who kind of owns like the diving boat, the one that Indy goes to for that. Okay. You know, like he was already known as Egypt's best digger. So I don't think it'd be too much of a I don't think it'd be too much of a leap that. 
basically like he would own a diving company later on in life. Yeah, wasn't there also a conversation we had recently about you finding an excuse to bring back Short Round for the reasons that I kind of tapped upon with him being just an obvious <laughs> face within Indy's legacy? Um, well, now, here's the interesting thing, actually. After thinking that, I may have actually have put Short Round in the place of the young kid, actually. Teddy, I think. Yeah. Well, like, for example, it, like, I would have ended up, I maybe would have had Short Round show up at the auction. Yeah. And basically, like, he joins the tree, he joins the main cast, basically, and why like, he goes along with them. Yeah, that could work very much. Yeah, because yeah. basically, it would just be a really nice bookend, I think, to have Short Round kind of team up with Indy in both the first and last adventure that we see him in. Yeah, I think for me, the main thing that I would change is that I would actually make Helen Ashore tone it down a bit. I get that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is known for playing characters that can be very over the top, and she is not in any shape or form a bad actress for doing that. But it doesn't belong in an Indiana Jones movie, and I don't think it would harm her to try and tone it down a bit, considering not everyone wants to see someone who can just give the middle finger to literally every person there. And oh, and sorry, go on, but I do have one more change actually, which I think would would kind of strengthen both the drama with Mutt dying and make her resentment a lot more understandable. That would be instead of being Indiana Jones' goddaughter, he Helena is Indy's daughter-in-law. Yeah, I suppose that would actually make quite a good change because it means that there's still a way to incorporate yeah. Mutt in there, even if it's just a little bit more than what we got, which was him literally drafting himself into Vietnam for no other reasons than to spite his daddy. Yeah, which, like, so, like, if you made Helena Mutt's wife, I think would it that would explain maybe her resentment towards Indy and her kind of resentment towards archaeology and all that. And it would also be a nice sort of draw, like, tension, I think, for Indy as well, you know? Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think, actually... On that basis, then, um, do you feel like maybe there are times where people in Hollywood fail to know how to write good English characters that are just not cliches? Because let's be real, Toby Jones as a stuffy short, uh, well, not even that stuffy compared to most, but you can still see where they boarded on a stereotype with an Oxford professor and yeah. the idea that you know, in trying to distinguish English characters from their worst depictions in Hollywood history, either as villains or just bumbling assistants, what we get are a bunch of people who really don't know what it is that we have over here for a culture or what kind of characters could make for interesting archetypes to study in Hollywood movies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, hey, honestly, I would be more than happy just to see a little bit of diversity of accents. Like, pick a guy from Devon or Cornwall or Yorkshire and just have something like that be the voice that they speak in, just because it shows that you don't see England in such a monotonous fashion. Yeah, like, that's the thing as well. Like, essentially, like, not everyone in England comes from London. No, I mean, look, I come from the southeast in Winchester. My accent isn't too far away from it. That being said, you know, you, as I know, come from Devon, your accent seems to be a fairly neutral one, and I actually wouldn't mind hearing a little more West Country exposure. And I totally agree with that, and 
like, I just have a lot of problems with Dial of Destiny. Like, it could have been so much more. Yeah, it could have been more than it was. I think that's not up for debate. But anyway, yeah. we've touched a little bit on the MacGuffins. Now, we've got another thing here that I wanted to ask you a little bit about, and you I can see. tell me about its plausibility. I have sent you the link so that you can look at it on your Facebook as well. Yeah, I have. If this is the thing, I have had a look, yeah. Yeah. Indiana Jones is apparently an unwitting servant of God. And let's take a look at just a little bit of the key points from each film, because there are a lot in here. But pick out maybe two or three that you want to focus on from Raiders, first of all, and then see if it actually adds any substance to the theory. The main ones that I would summarise, because again, it's the whole thing about the Nazis and their anti-theist agenda, is that the Ark of the Covenant comes specifically from the Old Testament story, and it's inspired by someone who was told that he could not touch the contents of the Ark's box, but after accidentally doing it and trying to stop it from falling over, he was smitten down by God. The Nazis, however, were summarily executed after that MacGuffin opened up and they were cleansed in fire and burnt away. And Indy, on the other hand, survived the cleansing flame of God's wrath, despite not being someone who claims to be a believer. He seems to be the type of person who God has chosen in this film to at least lead on a route to stop people from messing with an artifact beyond human control. Yeah, I mean, like, the theory would certainly explain Indy's incredible luck. Yeah, because, I mean, before we had Nathan Drake, we had the original lucky adventurer archaeologist. And there are some other bits here from both Temple of Doom, which are probably a bit easier to see. Then there's also in Last Crusade, which are more obviously so. He also breaks free of the Blood of Kali curse, with short rounds help and a lucky torch, which supposedly nobody could break before, which implies that there must be something special anointed on Indy for his destiny. And crucially, the released water flows around the passages when it caves in, in the mines, instead of flowing into the little cave that Indy and company duck through at the conclusion of the minecart chase. You could argue that that's going to be more a thing about the geology of the area, but as far as arguments go, chance is not much of an argument in general. And finally, a group of British and allied Indian soldiers show up just in the nick of time, at the point when Indy has managed to survive yet another Kali Ma. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely, like, it, there was definitely some supernatural luck in there. <laughs> yeah. And finally, with The Last Crusade, this probably is the one where it's most obvious. But when it comes to Indy and his idea of being able to get across... He had to do that through an act of faith when he was attending the place where the soldier was guarding the grail. So yeah, on this basis, what do you think then about that final act of faith that he had to get the cave where they had the grail? Well, simply put, um, 
I think Indy probably just realized that all of his luck, you know, it can't be just a coincidence, you know. I just think it's as simple as that, you know. Well, yeah, because there are times when, you know, I think there are plenty of films out there where you do actually have to act based on instinct, which Indy's done, but then he probably has a rational side of him that says, how can I, a normal human being, have done all this, considering that I'm not Superman and this isn't an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's very much like Indy's one of those characters that we love because we can see very clearly that he is a character who is smart, he is capable, but he has human flaws. Like, he's not the best judge of character, such as what we saw with Mac in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but also the fact that he was tricked by Elsa, and he just seems to not have the best ability to solve human beings as puzzles, as he does puzzles in an archaeology site, such as the church where they seek out the clues to find the grail but yeah anyway louis i have loved every bit of this and i am happy to say that with the 10 minutes we've got left we can definitely have a good chat here about the main stuff involved but i think the question that i do have for you is when it comes to indiana jones how is it that you feel he has managed to make such an impact on popular culture given the fact that Unlike many other franchises, such as James Bond, he hasn't had such a regular output, where over 42 years, we've had one film on average every 8.4 years. Also, what is it about the character as a whole that you think has warranted five films that have managed to, regardless how good they might be in the eyes of some fans, leave such an impression on our pop culture? Oh, well, um, I think a big part of that is the fact that it's George Lucas and Steven Spielberg working working together, you know, like, and those are two of the most gifted filmmakers of our generation. I think more so the original trilogy is a very unique thing. The fact that it feels like, I love the fact that it just feels like a really old kind of like good old fashioned adventure which is to be expected because Indiana Jones was inspired by like the old serials of the 40s in the in very much the same way that Star Wars was inspired by Flash Gordon. Basically, I think exactly that makes Indiana Jones such a compelling franchise. I don't know if I can answer that, but to me personally, I just think it's a little bit of everything. Like I think Harrison Ford is a big part of it as well because he has some great moments. And also, like, you know, like the Cairo Swordsman scene, that is hilarious, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll tell you what, though. My opinion is that Indiana Jones was one of the first action films that really emphasised the fact that, despite people obviously bringing up that James Bond, for instance, is a very intelligent, very well-educated, eaten an Oxford grad, who can do so much of anything. He's at times portrayed as being too good to be true. Indiana Jones shows that you can be a great action hero and still have flaws. You can be a great action hero for me, and yet you can still be book smart, because that's something that so many archetypes, especially back in pop culture of the 80s and prior, they always try to stereotype you as being something that fits into... A or B or C or X, Y, and Z. 
And it just doesn't have to be that way. He's cool. He's smart. Harrison Ford's dry sarcasm makes Indy the kind of guy that, for all the problems you may have with him in a history lesson, you can at least respect him as a guy that knows what he's on about and knows how to handle himself. And it shows that with enough dedication for me, we can all maybe be like Indy, because he's a guy that represents in many ways everybody. Oh, yeah, for sure, you know, like... Like, that's something I always liked about Andy, the fact that he wasn't, you know, the fact that he had flaws, you know, that, you know, like, from certain angles, he could be seen as the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, we might well, even get into the social issues with him and Marion, but... You know, like, again, if you really want to know that, just look it up. Yeah. You know, that's all I'll say. Um, okay. So, basically, the guy who gave Indy, like, his hat in Last Crusade in the prologue... Like the script originally had that being Abner Ravenwood, which mm-hmm. I think, which I'm kind of surprised they didn't go with that because that would have been quite a nice kind of tie in, I feel. Like why Indy and Marion would kind of be intertwined in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was meant to be some sort of connection between them, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Like, because there was even, because was there someone like he was his old college prof- lecturer or something? I believe that might be true. Don't hate us for not remembering random trivia, guys. We just have some massive pinball machines for brains, and sometimes the facts go all about the place. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. One final thing to try and cap it off then, Louis. There are many people that have tried to recreate everything about Indiana Jones, and we've given our thoughts on why he is the way he is. How do you think that his two greatest offspring if you like from the indiana jones genesis lara croft nathan drake would be able to stack up in terms of his legacy in pop culture and if you had to rank the three of them how would you rank them well i mean if we're talking in terms of legacy i would certainly say like tomb raider is a very close second you Mm. know because like she kind of was like the female indiana jones you know yeah. And again, with Uncharted, you know, and Nathan Drake, like he was, I saw as like the modern day Indiana Jones and I couldn't honestly rank the three of them, you know, because I feel like they, their legacies are just as important as each other. I feel they're all intertwined, you know. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I think that in terms of the iconography, both Indy and Lara Croft have definitely achieved their places in pop culture in a way that Nathan Drake hasn't quite caught up with, but he is definitely on route to getting there. Well, again, Nathan Drake is the newest of the lot, so... Yeah, that's understandable. And also, was Uncharted ever meant to have a definitive end to its story? Because I know that they've rebooted Tomb Raider a couple of times. Uh, Well, Uncharted 4 was supposed to be the last one in the Uncharted series. Hmm. Let's hope that if they ever try to pull an Indiana Jones and get more sequels in that franchise, they do a better job than what they do with the later films. <laughs> yeah, well, again, well, again, Uncharted kind of had a very definitive ending, whereas even Crystal Skull had an open-ended kind of ending to it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that with me, 
What I love about the idea of being an archaeology adventurer anyway is the fact that what Indiana Jones's archetype has definitely given for all of us is, as I've just said, and you've agreed with, you don't have to be book smart and not be a badass. You don't have to be a geek without having personality, which is basically a geek. It is meant to be a nerd with brains, but the personality of a guy you'd want to hang out with. Exactly. And Indiana Jones, in many ways, is the guy that left that impression on geekdom. Because he was like, you know, this is my day job and this is what I do for a hobby. And let's be real. Like, you grew up in the West Country. I was there for about 15 years, but I'm also from here in Hampshire. Like, both our counties have maritime culture embedded within them. And with me, it's Merchant Navy and regular Navy stuff. You, it's probably more, you know, the Pirate Cove stuff. Who doesn't yeah. have the idea of travelling around the world and looking for treasure? <laughs> exactly, you know, it's like it's like every kid's dream, you know, I feel. Yeah, and I hope that this manages to leave a positive impression on all of you. Right. Well, Louis, thank you for joining me today. Unfortunately, we've only got a minute left before I have to stop recording, but for everyone who's joined in, this has been Matanza Mafia Fedora, the real Wintonian, host of Wintonian Real, and my best mate, Louis Windsor, talking about one of the franchises that we love the most we are running a podcast on sigil arts media and we hope that you all enjoy staying for more picks that we can talk about in the future for now though i want to say diagwitch have a good one yeah bye guys bye